You are listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review Podcast. We find little nuggets, treasures, valuable pieces of gold in the Joe Rogan Experience Podcast and pass them on to you, perhaps expand a little bit. We are not associated with Joe Rogan in any way. Think of us as the talking dead to Joe's walking dead. You're listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review. What a bizarre thing we've created. Now with your host, Adam Thorne. This might either be the worst podcast or the best one of all time. One, go. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the JRE Review. Thanks for joining us. This week we have Dr. Rick Straussman, MD, DMT Studies, Chris Best, Substack CEO, and Nate Bagazzi. Pretty hilarious. Nashville, Tennessee comedian, I believe. Yeah, I like his voice. Great guy. You know, there's something about that the southernness in the, in his twang. Mm-hmm. It's just got a good home hometown feel. He's a super funny guy. I've seen him live a bunch of times and really enjoyable. Joined as always by my psychic uh, in crime, Todd. I like that psychic in crime. There we go. We are we are on a good wavelength t- uh, today. I feel like yeah. But for the record, have committed no crimes in the recent future. Distant yeah. past? There we go. Distant past for sure. Mm. Cheers. Let's cheers with some uh, benchmark whiskey. Not a sponsor, but I recommend it. If you're on a budget and you like whiskey on the rocks, it's manageable. Love it. Imagine if that was the ad. <laughs> it's pretty good. So Straussman, what a guy. Yeah, so fascinated with chemistry early on in life. Uh, what was he say? He said he was like making bombs, blowing stuff up with chemistry. Love and that. I yeah. did that in seventh grade too, I think, and got caught. My my stepmother caught us, but anyway. Yeah, got to be careful. Got to be careful. Still has all his fingers, became a doctor, and is famous for the Spirit Molecule book that became a documentary that actually was narrated by Rogan, which was cool. And that was on Netflix back in the day. That was back in the day when... It wasn't that long ago. wasn't that long ago, was it? Oh, dude, yeah, it was like... I thought it was like... 2010, Okay, I was was thinking it was like five years ago, but I didn't realize it was that old. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's a bit older. It was back in the day when the Netflix, probably from, I don't know, like 2008 or 9 is when the streaming really picked up with Netflix. And it was a bit clunky because you could only watch it on your computer and then eventually it got onto the TV. But after before that, all the documentaries that were getting on Netflix were like really fringe style, almost like Vice type of, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it was all conspiracy theories, zeitgeist, ancient alien style stuff. It, they were great back then. Let's bring it back. Mm. Yeah, now we're kind of flooded with documentaries, but it's a good one if you haven't seen it and a good book if you haven't read about it. So he did DMT trials, basically medical trials, FDA approved, which is kind of unheard of. It hadn't been done for a very long time. How he still managed to get approved for this wasn't really made clear. He just made it seem like you just applied all the right places and you get it. No, I well... What, from my understanding, they actually, and I think McKenna gave him this idea, George McKenna, I think, was, was kind of the influence behind going through 
the uh, government and like through, I don't know the actual agency, but they basically went through the war on drugs department, whatever that is. Yeah. Is that DEA? I don't know. Probably. But they like went straight to the top and said, look, we know this drug looks like it's could be really bad, but actually in these studies, it shows a lot of potential and they went right to it. And, and I think the reason they had success with it was because of, um, war vets, right? It was most was a lot of PTSD stuff, wasn't it? I don't know if that was his focus or if he just wanted to study it and get approval. Okay. And it's one of those things where, you know, even if it is the DEA, they should understand as much about what the drug is that they're enforcing as possible. They don't, though. That's No, they feel. don't. They rarely do. Of course do. they don't. That's why I was surprised that it went that way. And then didn't he say something about the biggest donors? Also to the study were Masons, Freemasons. Yeah, yep. Which was interesting because they have, you know, a bunch of pineal gland um, iconography, mm-hmm. you know, in their yeah, the, imagery. Uh, yeah, the uh, the um, third eye. The pine, pine cone. Pine cones. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, those secret societies, you know they've been doing weird stuff for years. I mean, decades, right? I'm sure. What I mean, who knows? I'm not no a Mason, but you know that they in those. Secret I know societies, some people that are. It's not like they're all doing DMT, though. They should be. They probably should. So yeah, what a guy. He he he's very intuitive and just you just want like he has this comforting tone and he obviously he's a psychologist, so he he's no, good he's just an MD psychiatrist, right? I don't think so. I think he was just a medical doctor. Oh. I thought he was a psychiatrist. That's why he studies this stuff. No, he's studying the brain. <clears throat> studying the chemistry of it. Well, clearly, we both know what's happening here. I, I had on my notes that he was a psychiatrist, but what do I know? Um, one, of the, one of my biggest notes here was hearing about the, and we've heard this before, is the monkeys eating psilocybin, that, that idea that Dennis and... Terrence McKenna had of monkeys eating psilocybin back in the day, and that's how we kind of... The mushroom ape theory? Yeah, the mushroom ape theory. Oh, standby. I just uh, Googled it, and he is the associate professor of psychiatry at UNM. Yeah, I was wrong. Okay, thank you. I thought I was going crazy there for a second. Yep. Which happens on a daily basis, I think that. But he also did a, a fellowship in clinical psychopharmacology research, which is, that's what I thought he primarily did that much I know. What's, what is, I don't even know what that means. Psychopharmacology, so it's like pharmacy stuff related to drugs um, that, things that alter your, your state of being, which are mm. usually drugs, psychedelics, especially. Right. So I mean, clearly he studies psychedelics. That is his oh, yeah, yeah. forte. Mm-hmm. And he's been doing it since psychedelia became popular in the 70s, right? Well, if you look at our logo on our website, the stoned ape theory was the primary motivation behind it. It's two stoned apes because they're smoking joints Love watching it. Joe Rogan on the TV. It's it's that inspired so much about Joe's show in general that it's... But the, the idea is the neuroplasticity that is created, right? It's, you're creating new neurons when you're taking psychedelics, especially psilocybin, right? It's like you're opening up new ideas and formations 
in your mind and that's actually creating more neurons in your brain, correct? Mm -hmm. So you're like, you're skyrocketing through the evolutionary process if you were to do that more often because you're learning new things quickly without just, you know, here's a fucking stone and here's a rock and let's make some fire. It's like, whoa, what are all these uh, geometric patterns that I'm seeing? (laughs) Like, whoa. Well, it makes sense that by doing that and growing new neurons and doing it quickly that you're, I mean, could you say you're creating new ways of thinking, which often is the response of people that have done hallucinogenics for the first time because they come out of it and they're like, holy shit, dude, you wouldn't believe what just happened. Like I was in another place. Like, wow, you got to try that. Yeah. And it is a little bit scary to think Again, I, I'm on Rogan's side with this. I, I think that everyone should try psychedelics, but it, I, I think everyone should be able to try them, but it is a little scary because some people, if they're prone, you know, if they have, uh, um, you know, uh, what's it called? Schizophrenia. Uh, sch- thank you. Schizophrenia in the family, it, it can get a little sketchy. And if you're not taking the right dosage, it can get a little sketchy. So they talk a lot about the set and the setting. Yeah. But how do you control that? That's well, the problem. Well, like this. So dosage is always the problem, especially with edible marijuana. It's a total nightmare to be stuck doing too much, which happens all the time. So now that we've regulated marijuana and edibles over a lot of the country, you can go in and buy milligram amounts. And there'd be some variations between them, but it gives you a general idea. Yeah. It's not like you're going to go in and be like, a, somebody's going to recommend you do a 50 milligram cookie the first time. It's, it's still a little bit sketchy. I mean, it's a new frontier. but it- Exactly. But if you, with the psilocybin, if you do guided experiences, which through maps and therapy are becoming more and more available, and not just that, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. You could do it with... Just maybe in the future, somebody that's trained to do it. So they ask you a few questions, kind of gauge where you are, like what your experience levels are. And then they know, okay, let's do this many. And obviously I'll stay sober and just kind of be there with you all. And probably the next thing is age. Wait until like appropriate age. You don't need to be like tripping balls on mushrooms of 15. I don't right. even think there's anything to gain from that realistically because your idea of what the world is and your responsibilities and your purpose for existing in it is e- anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it seems to me like they should just change the, the age for everything to 19 would be my idea. But if it's 21, fine, it's 21. Yeah, or like work with um, specialists in brain development. So that they know, okay, you know, males' brains stop changing at this age, at females 25. roughly at this age, and probably different drugs could be implemented at different times. Yeah. You know, even though alcohol is a bit of a slippery slope for a lot of people, you know, maybe that one you can, you can drink. With. I mean, in England, they drink with that at 18, and, yeah. you know. Well, do do you think being from England, people are more responsible with booze over there because it's more of a social thing early on? Or do you think it actually turned for the worse and more people are drunks over there because of that? It's hard to say. But I'll tell you what you don't see as much. And there's still plenty of it. But once kids get to college, 
you know, they're going to college at like 18 and they've experienced probably some alcohol by then. There's plenty of binge drinking that goes on there. But in the U.S., you go to college for almost three years. Four years. No, well, before you can drink, I mean. So no. before you're tw- so you're 18 yeah, when you yeah, go. I guess you're right, yeah. So, you know, and the like and plenty of kids haven't had any before that. So now all of a sudden you can get it at this age, you have no experience with it even though you are a little older and, you know, that I mean, that to me is a is an issue. That's a problem. Yeah, I've just been to parties in both countries and I did definitely see like more people in the US at certain ages at these parties that just got completely destroyed yeah. because they just had no experience with it. And don't you that's, think... Don't that's you th- a slippery one. Don't you think that might happen with psychedelics too, though? I mean, it is a slippery slope, man. Of course. It's going to happen with any drug. That's the issue. But what what scares me, that there's, like a, there's a huge positive to this, right, with PTSD and just, you know, different brain uh, depression, you know, different... Um, you know, issues that are causing people to take antidepressants, which I think that psychedelics will change that. That's what I hope anyways. I think that's the hope of everyone Joe talks to about psychedelics, right? The problem is, is that with our government in the United States, we're not going to, I hate to say it, they're they're not going to have this well thought out plan where there's places you can go. Yeah. If you pay for them and you have done the research and stuff, of course you're going to be able to go to a doctor and do it, which is great. But I think mostly, and, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but most of the time people are just still going to take them recreationally. And that, to me, isn't the the answer. But with more education in it, look, there's always going to be people that mess it up. You know, I mean, you could say that about dirt bike riding to some degree. It's like, Yeah. yeah, if you join a club, dirt bike club, and then go to the, you know, the track, and there's people that they're going to tell you, don't go on the big jump until you know how to do it. And then, you know, get a 50cc and not 150. I don't know why I use this example. I know nothing about (laughs) this. But it's kind of similar, right? It's like if you get around people that have experience with it and understand the more educated you are, the safer you can stay, you get the right gear, you're not going to fall off with a crappy helmet, break your neck. And if you just buy a bike randomly online and just head out into the woods, I mean, good luck. Yeah. So there will always be that. There will be. But it does help for people to be more educated. I think the issue is, and Joe was mentioning it a lot, and I agree, the government shouldn't get involved with it. Like, it shouldn't be regulated in that way to where you can only go to, like, government Prove facilities and blah, blah, because then they just start. They're going to screw it up. Re, they're going to screw it up. They'll synthesize it, then they'll start charging more. Yeah, it'll be a money making thing, which totally ruins the purpose of the drug, which is to help people. Mm. You know, I mean, I you know, we've both seen friends of ours who, at least, I've, I'm thinking of of one or two individuals who have told me that after a, a large trip and. This wasn't DMT, but on mushrooms of like, I just felt like I had five years of therapy in one night and it was guided and it was, you know, you go in with intention. There's a lot of merit to that, but it has to be. And I feel like Straussman was, was mentioning this a lot. Like it really has to be this set in the setting and things have to be regulated with a doctor 
And yeah, you don't want the government because the government will mess that up if they try to regulate that. No doubt. Um, and, and he kept mentioning back in the 70s, that's what would happen. There's a lot of these psych wars that had a bunch of new patients that are high as fuck on acid. And what do you do with them? We don't even have those facilities anymore in this country. So how do you fix that? Because like you said, there's going to be plenty of people who, the, you know, DMT especially is such a potent drug. You're really going to have to regulate that somehow. But how do you do it if it's legal? I don't know. It kind of comes down to a lot of the things that are related to freedom is, yes, there are some eggs that break and we shouldn't also sit there and say, because of this, you're going to break a few eggs. No, you want to minimize that always and keep an eye on it. But just to always ban everything, they always go to banning everything because of the worst examples of the people. Right. It's like why we see all those stupid signs on everything. Like, don't dive in here and the pool's like half a foot deep. It's like, obviously, no. But yeah. it's only up there because someone did. Someone did right. it. You know, someone ate the whole bag of pills immediately. Somebody in the RV thought that cruise control meant that they could go take a nap in the back and then it crashed off the road. Yeah. It's like almost nobody is that dumb, but there's a few people. And in a sense, when they ban it because of that, it, it ruins it for everyone. Don't you think that has a lot to do with American culture wanting to sue everyone too? That's also a huge problem, right? So you have to put up signs everywhere so you don't get sued. I mean, and yeah. It's obviously that, too. But it does mean that someone did it at some point. Well, people are dumb. But this, in, this will help so many other people that maybe some of the dumb people are just going to have to get weeded out a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what do, they, what do they call that? The Darwin Awards? Yeah, it's, a, it's like the Darwin Awards, yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some of the DMT experiences. I mean, they were doing it intravenously. Intravenous? Intravenously, yeah. Love that. What a way to go. And, when, and they, they talked about those two people that had the triple dose. And the Too one much. felt like he was just in the ocean the whole time, drowning and freaking out. And then the other guy was so gone, he can't even remember. It's like his brain was like, whatever you just saw, forget about it. It was too much for yeah. him. Yeah, got to go easy. I guess it's good to know that they can't go to that dosage anymore, right? You had to do some trials. Yeah. But. And also, you know, the people didn't die. And they didn't come out of it with, like, super psychosis as well. Yeah. You know, it's like the last thing you want is to get PTSD from the thing you're taking to help you with your PTSD. True. Well, Joe, Joe always talks about his experience seeing these, these little jokers, right? When he was on DMT. Flipping them off. And they just fuck told, you. yeah, fuck you. Don't fuck take you. yourself too seriously, right? Mm-hmm. I think we could all learn a lot what from was, that. What was Straussman's experience? What, what, I can't he, remember. Well, he similar. said that he had one where he's like inside maybe like a lighthouse. It sounded more like a lighthouse, but I think he described it as something else, like a silo, and he's on the inside. But the way he described the stairs going up, like, so you know, spiraling upwards, yeah. I mean, lighthouse stairs are like that. Yeah, yeah. And then he said there were all these little gnomes all the way up. That's right. And they were, like, up to no good. It seems like they're always kind of up to no good. But I think, I think that that's, like, the jester realm. Mm. You know, it's like, imagine the people, like, flipping Rogan up. They're like jesters. They're, they're fucking with him. They're trying to be like, ha-ha, look at you, and making fun of him. 
Well, Rogan was also saying his, was it his last experience that he, after a few days afterwards, he was kind of freaking out a little bit because he felt off and well, he thought that it might not go away. So I think this is the other DMT. So there's NN dimethyltryptamine that has two nitrogen groups on the ring. That one causes, um, you know, kind of like the pixelation, the kaleidoscope, and then you see a lot of entities. I have not ever tried that. So that's more of I've like heard. an acid trip then? Is that what they... I guess so. You close your eyes, but you can still feel your body. You're still there. The other one, 5-MeO, the toad, which I have done, is completely disassociative. I mean, you... You go into another realm. It's that white thing that they talk about. And do and you, you smoke that? Yeah. Okay. So after the last time, Rogan, so we did it three times in a day. I only did it once. I've known people that have done it twice in a day, and they said there's some benefit to that, but I, I was like, look, dude, that's enough. What I just did, whatever that was, was enough for today. Yeah. And, yeah, he did it three times. He said the last one was very powerful, and he just felt uneasy for weeks. He said he was anxious, right? Mm. Right? Questioning things, feeling like everything could fall apart. or you just. I think what it is is like you feel vulnerable because it's kind of like you're – you feel like you're being reborn, like you die and you're reborn. Mm. And even though you're an adult, maybe you are when you do it, hopefully, and you come back into this universe, this one here, this reality, you know, you have all the skills that you had before. It's not like your brain doesn't work, but just some things are off. The big thing with me that was very strange is about five or six days after the event, I woke up in the middle of the night, woke up from sleeping, and I felt exactly how I did when I was coming out of the trip. It, with visuals, the feeling, everything. And that wow. really doesn't make any sense because this chemical breaks down in your system very, very fast. That's why it doesn't last long. So there's really no way it could have been in my system that many days later. Hmm. But it 100% happened. It felt that real. I woke up and I thought, oh my God, if this keeps happening to me, this won't be good. But it just happened that one time. That's just that's, one time. You know, that's scary, man. And I was scared of the dark for like a week. And what was really odd and fascinating about it is I forgot that maybe other adults do. Like, we were all scared of the dark as kids. Yeah. We were little kids at some point in our lives, scared of the dark. And eventually we got brave and got over it, usually by pushing you know, your parents kind of push you, okay, turn the light off now, and then, you know, and you don't need your nightlight anymore, and stay in your own room, and don't come into the parents' room, like, you got this, even though, you know, you think there's something under the bed, and eventually you get brave enough. Yeah. But as a fully grown adult with my thinking now, I, for like a week, every time I turned all the lights off, I was like, this monster's everywhere. And I'm like, am I going crazy? And the week passed... And then I, it was fine and it was just silly, Yeah, but that kind of, that happened. I mean, it, it, I think some of it is just that it's such a powerful experience, but it was interesting to be kind of like, at least in that one area of my thinking, like put back in time to like, oh, this is, this is how I thought when I was probably like four years old. Yeah. Look, these drugs are super powerful and that's why i mean they should be legal but there really needs to be some sort of 
and I don't know how you do it. I don't know the answer, but the guided, these guided trips, right? That's how it needs to be done. If you want to see a successful, you know, implementation of these sorts of molecules, it just, it's, it's scary, but also really fun to think that it could help so many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely think it needs to be explored and checked out. And then, you know, and more importantly, the guided bit is not just the safety aspect. It's not like, oh, you know, you got to wear your seatbelt all the time type of a thing. It's it's just to actually get the most out of what you're doing. Right. Have that in, Well, and having that intention, right? That helps with an intention. That if you helps. have to go somewhere to do it. Yeah, and, and, you, and you get to talk to somebody that's experiencing, who has experienced lots of people go through this process before because it's so wild. You're going to have questions, right? Of course. And maybe you're a bit afraid. Maybe you're unsure. Maybe your whole idea of reality is kind of a bit wobbly for a couple of weeks. So it's nice to talk to somebody and have some integration. That's kind of like the therapy aspect of it, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's like with that holotropic breathing that Straussman was talking about. Oh, and you can we, trip we've on done that. that. Yeah. Well, I've done it. You've done it. Wim Hof. Yeah. Well, no. Well, the Wim Hof is, a, is like that exactly. It's a little bit shorter. I think that's only 10 minutes, five minutes. Whereas the holotropic I've done for an hour and I had a significant psychedelic experience from it. Did it for one hour. I don't feel very comfortable when I do that. I don't, well, I don't care for what, that. What I was getting at, it, yeah, it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to stay comfortable when you're basically hyperventilating for that long. Yeah. But having a guide with you, I've, I've done it under, done it twice, with, and there was a guide, same woman guided us through it, and having her there to calm people down because it gets a bit hysterical. Like, I, you know, there was 10 other people in the room. I heard people scream screaming like they were having some crazy experiences like howling like fucking wolves i mean it got intense it, i didn't howl like a wolf but the guy next to me did and he needed to be calmed down I mean, it was it was crazy wow. man you know but your arms start shaking and anyways yeah, my, that, my hands cramp up when i do that breathing yeah they, like go tight yeah it's like the acidity in your bloodstream or something from the the amount of oxygen or yeah like or cutting off the oxygen from going I don't know the scientific thing that actually happens, but it has something to do with breathing that heavily creates mm. like, you know, a certain amount of, of something in your bloodstream that creates that, um, that feeling like you been sleeping on your arm all night and then it starts throbbing. Right? Yeah. 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 That's what I got. from. But that. what, that was a really good one, man. It, yeah. That was my favorite one this week, but we should probably move on to number two. Let's jump over to Chris Best, Substack CEO. I honestly didn't know what Substack was. I had uh, heard of it, as but a, I didn't know it. As all. a publisher, I would, uh, I should know what it was, but I, I also similarly did not know what Substack was. And now, I'm going to create a Substack for our business, which is making magazines. And what a cool thing! I had no idea Glenn Greenwald was like moved away from the New York, not New York Times, or was it New York Post that he left? I can't remember. He sponsored the podcast before. Greenwald is the yeah, man. Yeah, he's I mean, good. He's a great journalist. Dude, he, w- he broke Snowden now. I mean, that, he did the whole Snowden. Mm-hmm. I mean, he covered the whole Snowden thing. Snowden called him, remember? He was on the video. Yeah. I was excited when I actually talked to the marketing people, and I tried to see if I could have a chat with him. That did not work. Good I am, try. I am not popular enough for that, but I thought, how cool is that to... 
he's he's done some great work. And really, something like Substack is, I mean, I think Joe even said it. He said it, it. he thinks it's the most important thing that's ever happened to journalism, which is a big thing to say. That's a big statement. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, the overarching theme of this is, is a lot like podcasting. When you have individuals who stray away from the mainstream because they're trying to censor you, right? Yeah. Even the New York Times, they wouldn't let... It's all about control. They wouldn't let Greenwald... And forgive me if I'm if it was the New York Times or I can't remember which um, entity he was working for that he got fired from, but he basic they basically wouldn't let him post the Hunter Biden laptop stuff, and now he's just doing everything on Substack, and people are paying subscription based to see his work. Right? It's beautiful. It's like if you are putting out amazing content. It's a subscription model. That's that Substack. It was the Intercept. Oh, is that who he's working for? Yeah. Okay. He resigned though. He didn't get fired. Okay. Well, he was probably about. And he to left get the fired. Guardian as well. He announced. Oh, the left. Guardian was a big one that mm-hmm. he was okay because that was the one. The Guardian was the one. Yeah, was the entity the business he was working for when he put out the Snowden files? Right. Yeah. And you know Snowden. I mean, he knew who he wanted to go to. Like, you know he did his research yeah, Snowden, on who he was going to speak to. Snowden contacted Glenn. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, look, the, the cool thing about Substack, and I checked it out, it's super cool. You don't have to pay for things, but you can, right? There's a lot of people who charge for their work. There's also a lot of people who say donation-based only. That's and cool. it's a way for people to blog, if you want to call it blogging, or just put out content. And it's free form, and it's they don't censor you, right? That was the biggest thing that Chris kept talking about. Mm-hmm. We don't censor. And how amazing is that? There's could no you, could censorship. Could you then see it almost... I mean, people must be putting news up there. So you could almost see it as like a newspaper that the people that run it don't, they don't, because you know, like, everyone has agendas. CNN, Fox News. Right, they're not editing You know, it. the globe, like, it's like they have an overall narrative. They're like, okay, we're liberal or we're conservative and we're staying away from this and we're kind of pushing these stories and nobody wants to touch, you know, um, Epstein Island things, even Which though it's ridiculous. completely fucked up. Yeah. But then you go on a Substack, and it's just... If you trust the individual writers, you're like, okay, let's see what this guy's got, and he can go in any direction he wants. No That's one's beautiful. No one is controlling the narrative. Why? Because there's no sponsors. Love that. Pfizer's not sponsoring this, right? Who's sponsoring CNN? Pfizer. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you start a narrative that's true about something fucked up that Pfizer's doing, that's not getting on CNN. The editors aren't touching that. Yeah. This is a way for these brilliant writers and a lot of brilliant writers that maybe people don't know about at all to have their words somewhere. That's a, you know, it's a popular app. It's a popular website. I think it's mostly an app, right? You just, it's on everyone's phone. No one looks at the computer anymore. They're looking at their phones and you're getting, look, unbiased opinions and a lot of facts too, whether they're right or wrong, I don't know. I haven't looked into it enough, but I do think it's awesome 
you know, Joe's talking about looking at all these medical papers that are on Substack that there's no fucking way you'd be seeing that stuff anywhere else. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of Substack. The interesting thing, though, it's free about- information, man, or information that people actually pay for instead of sponsors paying for. That's the beauty of it. Sure. It's the, it's the people's work. Well, but, but think about Joe's podcast and this one and many others. We have sponsors, you know, and that I can't, I think it's just because of the way podcasts are set up, but I can't imagine them ever changing the way that we think about things right it's like literally they send us whatever the product is usually and if we use it and it's good like so good that we want to just randomly bring it up while i'm just talking to you mid podcast yeah that's because it's that good and if it didn't stand out we usually don't or we didn't think about it but i mean could you imagine us ever getting to a point where we take a sponsor that would change the way that we speak I mean, absolutely not. But it seems like that happens across the board. And you're making that point right now that if something has sponsors, you got to be suspicious of it. And I believe that, too. Yeah. So what does that mean? That when people listen to us, they should be suspicious of our ideas of Manscaped or Athletic Greens? No, no. I think it look it's a slippery slope right when it I mean, you any time any time you have any time you have sponsors but look the sponsors that choose to sponsor this show and well not Rogan anymore cuz he's on Spotify and he doesn't have sponsors anymore No he does he reads sponsors but, He reads ads DraftKings is always on there Athletic Greens Okay but it's a different format now it, it's it a just bit puts different. the ads in different places yeah Either way Pod, the podcasting world is a lot like Substack because, yes, we have sponsors, but we're allowed to kind of pick and choose who our sponsors are. Oh, 100%. So, and the fact that we read them, too, is important because, you know, it's it's us saying it. Like, if we kind of like it or not, you get a feel of well, it. Well, but Chris Best is saying he doesn't want sponsors. He He's saying that he wants to pick a business model that works and that actually helps the writers and the readers. And I think that's why he's been so successful. And I like it. I actually prefer it. And I mean, honestly, I wish we didn't have to ever do any, but we would just be broke. Well, look, if, if, if Patreon worked for us, it would be the same exact thing as Stubstack. It's, it's essentially the same thing. If you're asking your, your viewers or your listeners to, to pay a fee to listen to us, which I don't think we would ever do, but that's basically what Substack is. That, to me, seems lamer than ads. I think that's why I went with ads. Well, Because I felt like if we offered that, and then you could get the non-ad version of this, yeah. right? Yeah. It's just like, I don't know. I just had a problem with it. But maybe that is better, right? Because people maybe, at the end of the day, ads are like manipulation, in a way. It's like propaganda. Again, it depends on who your advertisers are. And and I think with the Chris's model with, with Substack, he is allowing people to not um, you know, there's plenty of people on Substack that you don't have to pay for. That's the beauty of it. It's it's up to the writer. It's up right. to the person creating the content whether or not they want to charge their readership to actually pay for it. I guess it's more important there than a show like ours because they, you know, you have, say, a journalist that is 
uh, you know, and in journalism, it's about your kind of, you would hope, your um, you kind of like your honor, right? Or your integrity. You would hope. It's like if, you, if it said Glenn Greenwald brought to you by Pfizer and then he does an article on the COVID vaccine or, yeah, that's you know, totally brought to you by BP oil and then he talks about the fuel prices, you would have to be concerned because people are going to him for information and like, I want to know the truth, not just what's being spun and blah, blah, blah. Whereas, you know, if you're listening to us, it's people aren't coming to us for like the news. The, the beautiful thing about Substack, and I, and I trust Chris after listening to him, Mm-hmm. That he wants to have these conflicting ideas, right? There's always going to be conflicting ideas in an open and free market like Substack, right? Yeah. But he's not, he's not changing those ideas. He's letting them on the platform. And I like that because there's always going to be dissent. There's always going to be conflict with different ideas. That's how you change your opinion. That's the beauty of learning. There's always going to be a few wackos too. But that, but he straight up said the whole reason he started Substack was to have these these opinions from different sides, and it motivates others to change their mind and to change their theories. It's like no one is telling him or her or whoever is on Substack what to read and or what to write about. Hmm. It's kind of like I don't know enough about Medium, but it reminded me of Medium dot com, where people are just putting up ideas, and you know you don't have to. I think you pay Medium uh, a fee, and I think there are advertisers. I could be wrong. But Substack, to me, is so much cooler because it's up to the person It's up to the person who's putting content on there to tell people how they want to get paid for it. Yeah. And it's up to the people who want to read that stuff whether they want to pay for it or not. It's beautiful. Like, it, it's an open, free market, dude. It's, it's like... It's capitalism at its finest, really, but for journalism. Right. I love that. Well, it's freedom of journalism at, yeah. at its finest. Fuck yeah. And that's the thing. People aren't trusting news sources anymore. I mean, Rogan even talked about people making podcasts, and you take Obama. Obama oh, was, that was a president that, that you know a lot of people really respected, you know? Not always Republicans, obviously, like, but, I mean, he was a statesman. He was very yeah. popular while he was in. He spoke well. He's an intelligent person. He went and did a podcast. And remember, he's a president. And for the longest time, this podcast, that is a podcast about Joe Rogan's podcast, ranked much higher than his. Yeah. And he was the fucking president, dude. And I think what, what it points to is I think people are tired even from someone as popular as him, at at listening to things that they maybe just don't think are that genuine, possibly. It's like even the main newspapers today, it's like we all know that they're all being pulled in a particular direction. We're being fed a narrative. We know every politician is feeding us a narrative. Whether you like him or not, you're like, I just... It just doesn't feel like as uh, real a Genuine. conversation as it could be. It's not, it's not authentic. And, and, and Rogan pointed out with someone like Obama, 
you know for a fact, and maybe not for a fact, but let's let's just assume, come on, the guy is so popular, he wants to be this, you know, this statesman for the Democratic side, and if he had any dissenting opinions on anything, he would get so torn up in the media about it. That's why I think his podcast was shit, because... He can't be completely honest. Let's be let's be honest about this. He and Joe said it. He can't. Yeah. If he just came out, smoked a joint, and started talking about aliens, it would be the biggest podcast that ever existed. And he should. Let's he go. He should. Let's go. Let's but he, go. But he won't because no. he has too many people, and he's making way too much money off of God knows what. Oh yeah, bank from up, his presidency. Bank up like speeches and dinners and yeah. But think about it. If 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 there was this altruistic way like Substack where everyone could just pay him ten bucks a month to read his stuff and he didn't have to worry about the rest of the this windfall of things happening after he talks about who knows what, then maybe he would he would be more honest. But there's just too much there's too much of a question on where his motives are because he was the president. I think that's why. I think you're right. I think you're right. And, I mean, one thing to say for us, no matter what, is that we're just going to say the things that we think. Yeah. And we lay it down. Like, I walk away from it. And it's and it's like, okay, there it is. I've even had friends and family members, like, give me, like, criticism or get mad at stuff that I brought up. And I'm I'm... I'm pretty aggressively, defensively adamant about... <laughs> When I talk about it on here, it goes up. It goes up. Yeah. This is my thing. We don't edit it. Maybe don't tell me then in the future. I don't think anyone's going to do that. But it, these are just stories. You know, they're just examples of shit we can expand on that I'm going to talk about. That's it. What What did you think? that This is probably the last thing on, on Chris right Chrissy. now, huh? We're getting a little late here, but... If the government knew what the internet was going to be like back in the day, do you think they would let it? No fucking way. No chance. No chance. No chance. No chance. So what's next, right? I mean, they would have banned Bitcoin from day one if they thought that it was going to take off and do what it did, decentralize money and banking. But this this altruistic way of making things happen, the Patreons of the world, this is what... In my mind, and I think Joe's right when he when he's telling Chris this. This is the way forward for everything. Podcasting. Think about, think about what it's destabilized in a lot of ways. Radio, because people now go to podcasting. Yep. Uh, news, because people go online. I mean, newspapers would have hated. Like every major system that was in place, almost would have pushed against what the internet was, and everyone pretty much underestimated it. They were like, meh. Dude, Substack, the alternative to take back control of the mind, baby. Let's go. All right. We're Love getting that. on it. The only concern I have with that is that you got to like subscribe to so many different people. That seems like a bit of a pain in the ass. I don't I don't think you have to. Oh. No. You you have to pay for some people, but others you don't. You can still go on there and read some free shit. No. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. Worth put checking a, out. Put a bookmark in Start it. Start a Substack. All right, we're going to jump over to Nate Bogatsky. I like saying it with that that accent. Um, this guy is great. I've seen him, like I said at the beginning, do stand-up a few times at the comedy store. Brilliant. Very calm, very funny. Um, you know, he's a clean comic, which 
in uh, you know there's not always so many of those you know yeah. Gaffigan and um he's a storyteller right yeah that, and there's a lot of that it, but it's it's like you can take your whole family to it you know Sebastian does that and it's a kind of difficult kind of comedy because you want to get wild sometimes but he does it really well I love how he plays kind of like the naive I don't understand how things work. Yeah, Comic. Works for him, it's it? really good. But yeah. you know he's a clever guy. Like there's no way you would come up with those bits if you want. Yeah, I mean he's clearly smart and he gets it. You know, he talked about I mean, he only went to what school in Chicago for a year for for um you know, he took a class for a year and did stand up in Chicago for what, another two years and then moved straight to New York. Mm-hmm. And then what? Then he was just on stage all the time, right? Yeah. Putting in the work. New York is is a brutal ground to learn from. I mean, you know, um, there is decent-ish stand-up in Chicago. I mean, it's bigger for improv because they've got Second yeah. City. And then you can go off to SNL from there. But uh, in stand-up, it doesn't really touch New York or L.A., I think, yeah, I mean, Chicago was huge in the 70s, obviously, because of Second City, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that, that was what basically started SNL. Well, a lot of it, yeah. I mean, For all, sure. all the OGs exactly. started there. Yeah. But that's different now. A little bit. I mean, they have been picking more and more stand-up guys and gals. So, it, it, and he's put the work in. I mean, he's a hustler, for sure. And he, you know, has worked with... So many great comics, and people like him. I mean, that's a big part of the culture now, too, in stand-up is like, hey, if I'm going to go on the road with you, are you cool? Are you my friend? Like, can we get on? And um, that's a really nice thing because it is such a difficult pursuit that without that kind of cooperation, I don't know. Look, it's what it should be hard. That's what makes it such an incredible thing to achieve. But does it need to be harder than it needs to be? Meaning, does everybody need to be vying for a Tonight Show spot or the sitcom? No. Not anymore. They can all work together, do podcasts, and it, it, it's almost like now is the best time for the cream to get to the, the top. And I love that. Because you want to see the best, what I say, the top. Well, cream of the crop rises to the top. I love that. Yeah. That's the new saying. But you want the best comics, always, and wherever you get them from. So it's cool they're all kind of working together in that way. Talking of that, we got to get out to Austin. Absolutely. How long is it going to be? At the Vulcan. We go to the Vulcan. Well, we go there, but mainly we want to go out and see Joe's Club, obviously. Like, it doesn't look like that will be together until the new year, but we'll get there. I I appreciated Nate's comments on speaking of sitcoms, you know, and and that was kind of the old way. But just, you know, he says he watches Seinfeld every day and and things like The Office and just kind of these mindless shows. that that, That's what people want these days, man. You don't want to go into the... And and granted, we all get stuck in these eight-hour or eight-episode, you know, diatribes about... Narcos or whatever, you know, Narcos was great, but we're in season four. It's like how we can't keep up with this stuff. You know what I mean? Like I did it with, um, 
Oh, what was the other one? The um, oh, the one with Jason Bateman. Ozarks. Help me out here. Ozarks, right? Yeah. First, I mean, look, the first couple series were great, but you get to the third and the fourth one, you're kind of like, man, I don't have time for. It's too serious. There's too many characters. Like, I don't have time for that. <laughs> and Nate was just, he was just being funny. He's like, yeah, people just want kind of mindless shit. And there's not much of that happening nowadays with comedy. It's all like stand up and right. stand up specials, and which is fine. But it was just interesting to think of like, what what's the Seinfeld now? The last one we had was what? Like, uh, the office like what else do we have that you can think of that you really enjoy watching that's kind of similar to seinfeld yeah i mean pogs and rec was good the office that was, was good yeah parks and recs but good. it's been a long time since they both been on what good comedies are on now and are they, are they calling that the multi-cam show is that what that means i don't know i was confused by that they kept saying the multi-cam show but joe brought up the the miss pat show which i haven't seen but i want to check that out now i heard that's good yeah joe likes uh, it yeah yeah She's Sounds hilarious. Like she has dude. a crazy story. You're very funny. <laughs> um, or how about the 4chan thing? Have you checked out 4chan? They mentioned 4chan. It's like a Reddit for just crazy people. Mm-hmm. Or just like. Well, it's kind of where then it bled into 8chan, and that's where all the QAnon craziness came from. Nuts. Nuts. I mean, that QAnon documentary, for people that haven't seen it, is a must. Oh, watch. yeah, they mentioned that one. What is that called? Into the Storm. Yes. Into the it's Storm. It's so good. I heard uh, Trump, that's his new uh, theme song. Is he used the same theme song? I don't know if that's true, but from if it the is, documentary? That's, that's messed up if that's true. Wow. Yeah, from the QAnon doc. Well, because I think that's their theme song, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, it's revving them up. Yeah. Trump's using that now. Bring that conspiracy back. The problem is that conspiracy is batshit crazy. Well, he needs the crazies to get in office. That's the whole, I think, There's the not mindset. enough crazy to get him in office. He already got into office once, bro. True. Wow. So, yeah, Nate didn't really talk much about his, you know, going forward in the future. Like, does he, he doesn't have any specials coming out or does he? he I don't know. He's I just mean, got Joe, his podcast. Joe has his hour really tight. So Joe's about to release one. And because of COVID, he has a second hour coming up. Nate, yep, doing the pod. And uh, he does one already with some of his friends. It's really quite good. Um, he's pretty, I mean, he's definitely working on an hour. They're all kind of back to work now. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how big the Austin scene gets and if it is at least for people on the East Coast like he is and Theo and, you know, Joey Diaz moved to New York. I mean, there are a lot of people kind of big comics kind of headed that way. They mostly just went back home, but it'd be interesting to see if the new kind of uh, focal point of comedy becomes Austin. That's what I've been really curious about ever since the big move from Rogan. I mean, he's definitely pulling everyone over there if he can. Glad he didn't move here, buddy. Oh, up to, He yeah. almost moved to Montana. We got enough people. It's too cold here. Don't come. How about the... I didn't realize that um, uh, the ga- that Genghis Khan film from the fifties was was played by John Wayne. Oh, dude! I if mean, you haven't pulled up some clips of that, dude, you've got to look at it. It is the mo- you think like Sean Connery playing a Russian uh, submarine guy in the hunt for Red October, <laughs> even though he has a solid. Uh, Scottish accent is bad. 
the John Wayne thing doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's I like mean, it how was, can you even think for a second this could be a Mongolian it, warlord? It worked because it was in the fifties, maybe, but there's no way you could get around that now. It was interesting for them to pull up, and I, I had seen that before. The um, I can't remember uh, the first name of the um, uh, of the Native American woman that went up on stage to take Marlon Brando's um, award, Academy Award. She basically got up on stage at the 1972, I think, Academy Award show when Marlon Brando won Best Actor in The Godfather, and he he did not accept it. Like he wasn't there first of all. So he shunned it and like, what a badass. I'm sorry. Like That's Marlon hardcore. Brando is hardcore, and he had this American or excuse me, native American woman in headdress go up on stage at the award show and basically say, I'm here to, to ex- I'm here to not accept this award for Marlon Brando tonight because of the way that, uh, native Americans are being, uh, presented in the you know or not presented in the represented represented thank you in the uh in hollywood mm-hmm. essentially but yeah. that was in the 70s man like yeah, that is like, so forward thinking at that point dude if you think about it that's kind of been happening even recently i mean johnny depp a played, lot recently yeah johnny depp played uh tonto in the yeah, that Lone just Ranger. that just shouldn't happen. I, I I disagree with that. Like even the James Franco thing's a little weird. Even though he's Portuguese and he's playing, um, who is he playing? They talked about the film that Franco's doing. Oh, God. Christopher Columbus. No, no, he's playing a Portuguese guy. No, he Franco's Portuguese. He's playing someone in a, in a new film. I'm gonna have to look it up now because I I remember them talking about it, but I didn't look it up. Um. Anyway. It he's playing someone who I think is span of Spanish descent. Maybe it is. Uh, Wasn't Franco uh, canceled for some? Well, he's yeah sexual I, yeah. moves deviancy. Apparently, that didn't stop his career. Yeah, has been cast as a Cuban. Yeah, oh, he's going to be Fidel Castro. That's what it was. So he uh, has been cast as the Cuban revolutionary Fidel Castro okay. in the new independent film Alina of Cuba. Hmm. That just happened. That was announced on August 4th. So, uh, you know. Well, I mean. I could see him as being Fidel. He kind of looks Cuban, even though he's Portuguese. But like what are you trying to say? That you've got to be Cuban to play a Cuban? No, no. Like, that's getting a bit much, I'm, too. Because I, I actors get can do, what are you going to no. say, Chris Hemsworth can't do a British accent nope. while playing Thor? I'm not saying that. What you I am saying down, is, bro. is fucking John Wayne shouldn't be playing Genghis Khan. Reasonable. <laughs> I think we're all on the same page with that one. And, and Johnny Depp shouldn't be playing Tonto. Makes sense. But look, these these are small. I don't know if they're small. They might be bigger problems. They're to bigger deal with, problems that we don't typically think about as much as maybe we should. It does upset some people. Um, you know, but again, cancel culture is out there. I can see the opinions on all sides, right? I, I think the key is to all have an open mind and not just quit being assholes, you know? Like, picking Franco for a role for Fidel Castro makes sense to me. I get that. Like, that one doesn't upset me, but... Some are bad. Some are bad. And just don't be stupid. Yeah. So have a think, folks. Have, have a think. Have a think. <laughs> And and I like that. Let's end on don't be assholes. That's good. We're trying. Sometimes we are. Cheers to that. 
Cheers to that. Cheers to that. And uh, what is this? What is this cup? Oh, we doing a shout out to Upslope Brewing Spiked Snowmelt. Quit drinking White Claw, guys. This snowmelt stuff is really good. It's yeah, but hard, you can only get this in Montana. Hard seltzer. No, no. It's th- This is a company out of Boulder, Colorado. Oh, so it's all over? Um, they're pretty good. I think they're all over the West. I don't Cucumber know about Cucumber and basil. I mean, let's be honest, though. When you've got like ingredients like that, are we getting bougie? It's a little bougie. We but got bougie. Look, a lot of people are drinking this. Look, Zima, Zima came out in, in the wrong decade. Okay, it's low cow guys. Zima should have came out in 2020, and they would be killing it. Hmm. Well, all right. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, check out the website. Go to the Instagram. Uh, send us a message. And otherwise, have a great week. Thanks, Todd. Cheers, buddy. Always a pleasure.